I'm Mireille Doyle and welcome to the second episode of Crack On. This week I chat to star of The Commitments, Pulp Fiction and most recently Brassic. It's Dairy's own Brona Gallagher. This was one of the most refreshing conversations ever and her personal stash of amazing life lessons will blow you away. I had a ridiculous amount of crack with Brona and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Brona Gallagher. Thank you, Mairead. It's lovely to be here. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm so excited to have a chat about all things crack on. All things crack on. Exactly. Well, thank you for asking me. I actually, um, I think it's a very uh, important conversation that that a lot of people should be having at the minute. Um, considering where we are globally. So I actually was trying to think of, you know, like the funny sort of things that we, we come up with in life, but um, maybe it's maybe it's uh, it's a different little twist on it today. If it's made me it's made me it's been provocative thinking. So thank you for the invitation because it has made me um, it, it it was a much needed sum up of where we're at. Yes, that's the thing. We all need to kind of inspire each other on how to crack on with this time in the world. Yeah. Um, actually, before we get started, we watched Bump Along the Way over the oh, weekend. Yeah, yeah. It is such a gorgeous film, firstly, but it's also kind of a theme of cracking on. It's like this thing that she has to overcome but the yep. biggest blessing comes out of it yeah it's yep. such a gorgeous film we loved it so much thank you so much i mean it's my sister uh and i made it my big sister louise is a producer and um you know she sent me the script uh three years ago and i read it uh in one sitting on a flight and i just thought okay you know there's something very um very beautiful about this and we did a bit of work with the writer and we basically got the proper funding in place and made it through NI Screen. Yeah, and it, I mean, it did so well considering, you know, it was one of those little acorns in life. You just go, if you plant this, it will grow. A bit like, uh, you know, Wayne's World. If you if you uh, book them, they will come kind of a moment. And we just mm-hmm. basically put it the wheels in motion and the whole thing just snowballed into this sort of perfect perfect little um little love affair with Derry and the cast and you know it ended up winning you know many different awards and and entering really prestigious festivals around the world so we couldn't have really asked for any more uh, success well wow. blown away and I mean even obviously last year the pandemic um there was you know maybe three other festivals that we were meant to to go to with it um, but the last one that I was able to attend was Santa Barbara and I brought my mum. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was kind of amazing. And, um, the you know, because that was obviously the last time many of us sort of left left uh, anywhere, really. Um, but, yeah, so that was kind of amazing. So, no, amazing that Louise, you know, my sister's obviously now doing really well and she's brilliant. She has just a brilliant um, eye and ear for talent and to bring people together. And she was just, she was producer extraordinaire, you know. So, yeah. That's amazing. Was that the first time you worked with your sister? 
Yeah, it was the first time we worked together in a film capacity. I mean, Louise was in radio production for a long time in the BBC, maybe 23 years in the BBC in radio, and then um, assistant producing there. And she had very small children, and then she decided she wanted to leave the BBC, and she left. It'll be 13, 14 years ago now, so in that sort of 11-year period, because we sat in Belfast the morning that the movie was going to open the Belfast Film Festival together, and Louise is like myself, very emotional, you know, um, and it was a big deal for her. You know, she was, gets kind of emotional. Just, she just gets excited and she gets emotional, but it's, it's really quite, it's really moving. She just says, you know, I was so terrified leaving the BBC 11 years ago because it was a great job. And, you know, and she had two kids and they'd bought a house and all the stuff that, you know, young parents face. And 11 years later, you know, she, she, she bit the bullet and she went on and did this and she's developed her own small company through thick and thin and through mm-hmm. doors shutting in her face and kind of like, well, who are you? You've no experience, you know, but you've got passion. And that's the greatest, you know, currency of all, you know, and knowledge and talent and the work ethic. And there she was in her film, you know, was opening the Belfast Film Festival. And that always bringing work back home is, is huge for us. Um, the fact that it was dairy made, all dairy female leads, of, you know, the writer, the director, the producer. Um, and it was NI screen and all female uh, lead actors. So, you know, that was a big deal. And um, yeah. Yeah, she's she's amazing, and uh, she's now head of development for um, Hat Trick in Belfast. So, wow! Oh my God, that's amazing! Yeah, she's kicking it. She's kicking it. Yeah, she's great. Uh, the week. Well, we loved the film, and I think her passion definitely came through okay. through the the movie. It was, uh, it was so good. I know she's seen Lola, you know, on a job a few years ago, and she just clicked Lola. That's it. She just clocked that, and she says, "I'll have Lola." Hopefully she's free and she was, you know, and Lola's with the same agency as myself. So we were able to just make it all work out. Um, and, you know, we brought uh, Jared also, who plays my brother in Brassic, and um, Patty as well, who played one of the other travellers in um, the first series. So I brought those guys in as well and they played some great parts, the teacher and, and my sort of nasty ex, uh, Lola's daddy in the film. So uh, it was a bit of a family affair. That's so much fun. I love that. Yeah, we we watched um, Dating Amber a few weeks ago as well, which has Lola and she's brilliant. Yeah. I have to see that. I actually haven't seen that, did I? Yeah, you'll you'll love it. But um, yes. Okay, so let's get straight into it. Um, Even though I could talk about Bump Along the Way for, you know, an hour straight. (laughs) We're very proud of it. It just shows you, you know, the passion was there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so as you said, you were having a think about times that you cracked on in life, you know, things that didn't necessarily go your way or you faced some hardship or a hurdle that you had to overcome. So what's your first example that you want to share with us today? Well, you know, I have realized something and I think it's not maybe, it's an accumulation of experiences in the last few years and consolidated by the difficulties of the last year that we've all had to embrace. And, you know, I often say now when I'm speaking to friends and, you know, family, will we be different when we come out of this? Will we have, will we really have learned different layers of living, different layers of embracing what we have? 
And, you know, before I sort of, you know, give you the ins and outs of the experiences, which are very important, the stages of realisation, you know, what I feel about the last year and that question that you asked that, 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 that sort of excavated in my head, where, where are we going here? You know, the older I get, I have learned to give things less energy. And one of the keys that I've learned in life is acknowledging how much energy am I giving this, i.e. a person, i.e. a situation, i.e. an environment, or something that is possibly, in my mind, doesn't work for me or is dysfunctional or is toxic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're very important lessons, I think, that I really feel I needed to learn as a, as a woman, as a person. So when I look back at these instances that, that you have, you know, inspired me to think about, the hardest times I've had in my life is when I was in situations where I thought things were going to go a certain way, you know, as an actor, as a musician, as a writer, singer, whatever you want to call, you know, whatever I do, I do it. I don't really have names for it. Yes, I do act and yes, I do sing, whatever, you know, it's just what I do. You know, it mightn't be validated in other people's eyes, but it's what I do. It's what I wake up in the morning and I've done since I was a child, right? This is what I do, right? I create things and make things with other people, sometimes on my own. And, there's been so many moments in my life where I came to a precipice of this will go this way, this will go that way, this will go that way. And we operate from a place of entitlement. We think that we're entitled to this because we've done these jobs and that job might accumulate to that, especially as an actor. And when they haven't gone those ways, you know, I've done that period in Los Angeles where you go to LA and you do the cast and thing, you know, we spoke about it briefly one day, mm -hmm. ourselves. you know, and you hear little sound bites of things that become, I believe, backbones of knowledge and sort of the, the mattress of life to fall back on and come up again. And it's not having a sense of entitlement, which I feel is such a freedom, fine spring, you know, because you do this and because you do that does not mean you're entitled to anything. And once that ping went off in my head in LA, somebody said to me, you know, we think you're this, we think you're that. But, you know, when you come to this city, you can't have a sense of entitlement. You know, I might have come off a big long run of something really successful and this award or this acknowledgement or da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> don't mean nothing. They don't care. <laughs> don't mean nothing. You know, and they're, they're, you know, you embrace them further down the line. Hindsight's a great thing and all that. But they're so vital and they're, they're, they should be teaching us these things in school because you'll never get those periods of your of your life back, those times, you know. And life is so precious and time is so precious. So there was periods of time I was in L.A. and I was hanging around with a lot of musician friends as well. And I kind of was going, oh, I didn't get that job. All oh, those people do want to meet me. They know who I am. They think this, they think that. That's great. But they don't, right, I'm here in LA and I can stay until the end of February. What am I going to do? What am I going to do every day? I can do me yoga. Or I love yoga. Do that. And I was watching other friends, man, and I had no work. And I was watching other mates of mine, uh, musicians and successful boys and great boys. And they got up every day and they went to the studio. They got up every day and they went to the beach and they wrote. 
even if what they wrote wasn't good or even if what they wrote wasn't used, they got up every day and they didn't. They didn't lie in their beds thinking about their Grammys and their tour buses. They put the graft in. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I was there going, well, what? They did that and they did this and they did that. Now I did an album in 2004 and it was, you know, moderately received and well received. And, and, and you know, if you look back chronologically, you think, God, I've got a great review, you know, in Mojo. You know, I just sent it to the editor and she loved it and reviewed it. Wow, you know, we did a great, uh, you know, tour. We went to New York. We did all these great things. And then there was the national economic, you know, disaster at home. You know, we had the recession. So I'm back in London. We know band. We know, you know, can't tour. You know, back at living in England, rented out my house in Dublin, back looking for work. And, you know, got great work after a while, changed agents, got really good work again. But then I'm back in America going, I want to make a record again and I want to do a record. But I, can't, I did that before and I did it and it didn't, it didn't, did it work? Didn't really work? Did it didn't, didn't really work? On whose, you know, merit? You know, so the human ego, the human ego comes under it and that's your greatest enemy as well, your ego. So I sat back and went, well, I can't write songs. And some people thought it was okay. You know, but do I think it's okay? What do I actually believe? So I watched all my mates up every morning. You know, I'm there, you know, sitting on the beach with a hangover going, what will I do now? You know, what will I do now? And I thought, well, if you want to make an album, you have to make an album. If you want to write an album, you have to write an album. So, you know, it was, as they say, like as Bob Dylan says, they say the darkest hour is right before the dawn. And it it is those moments. So it just kind of went, right, now, this was 2010. So I went back to Ireland and I started to write again. You know, I was in LA and I could really feel, you know, like, the, the, you know, the ferns coming off the Christmas tree and it was all kind of left and just this baldy tree. And that was just me standing there in Las Vegas. <laughs> you know, just baldy, empty, just, you know, totally disheartened by acting, totally disheartened by, you know, maybe... You know, I, I love all these wee sta- sayings because I think they do solidify uh, their wisdom, really. You know, you're the one you're waiting for. And that, mm. that's Buddha. You know, <laughs> let's face it. You know, he knew a thing or two, right? You know, Buddha, right? Whatever Buddha, whoever Buddha was himself. <laughs> you know, you're the one you're waiting for. So it is all that. And there are all these little bolts of wisdom. And I kind of went back and thought, well, if I look at all my mates who are really successful musicians, but look at the work they put in. They're not sitting around, lying around in their laurels, which you can do as well. So I went back home and I got in touch with Connor Brady again, um, who is uh, my songwriting partner. Connor was in The Commitments as well, amazing guitar player, producer. And we went about writing... um, well, I'd written some songs in LA, written some songs in Los Feliz about different characters that had seen different experiences and crazy nights out that I had mad, crazy LA nights up on the Topanga Canyon and madness, rock and roll madness. And I just came back and I basically put them all into an album, which was my second album. Um, yeah. And that was it, you know, and that that happened and I made an album and it did really well, you know, again, and it's been one of those things. Um, when I say really well, you know, we had all the marks that we wanted to had and we, you know, we made money, we made the money all back from it, you know. So then when it happened, the 
for the third experience in my life where this thing happened again, where work kind of slows down and you're on your own and you're going, okay, now I don't feel very happy. Now I don't feel very well. Now I feel really disappointed because that's three big jobs that were right at the tip is between you and somebody else, you and somebody else, you know, and really prestigious directors that I would love to have worked with. No, no, no. And, you know, to the point where you sort of sit and I sat in the garden and I thought it was a really difficult time. Uh, it was probably maybe seven years ago, seven or uh, seven years ago. And again, and I, and, I, and I sat in the garden and what I noticed was the time that I gave it became shorter. And that's what I'm saying about getting older. You do hopefully, and they say youth is wasted on the young, you know, and I loved being young, but I love being this age now because I've, I've earned those inner, you know, inner chains, you know, that just bolt you up, pull you up. I, I know them because it's, it's hopefully, hopefully it is um, part of getting older. But I sat in the garden and I just went, you were here before and you're disappointed. And, you know, you don't need to tell people that you didn't do this, you didn't get that. You know, your parents want you to get this. They want you to work. They want you to be content and happy. But you don't need to ring them right now and say this, you know, just own it for a minute. As my brothers, me and my brother be very close. Paul said to me, acknowledge your disappointment. Mm. Acknowledge that it's important. And that's the life of the artist. It's synonymous with struggle. It's synonymous with rejection. It's synonymous with extraordinary highs as well. But what has to be stable in the middle is you. And I went, yeah. And I remember Paul's statement. I thought, acknowledge your disappointments. Okay. And I sat, I swear to God, Marit, and sat in the garden and I went, been here before, so how are we going to roll with this? What are we going to do here? And I looked at the crocuses in the garden and the daffodils, right? And this is me being the raving, happy, deep down. <laughs> I love it. Right, right. And I looked at them and my mother had planted them a couple of, maybe the year before. And I sat there and I was, well, I don't know if I was, crying I was probably having a wee cry or just a wee sad moment and it was a lovely spring morning and I just thought oh god how am I going to get through oh man now what am I going to do what now what am I going to do and I looked at the wee flowers and they were poked up through the soil right in this extraordinary yellow and green and purple and green and they were coming up you know you know bullets out of the earth you know and I remember kind of going and it was literally like oh yeah. Oh, God is here. Whatever. And I just went, look at nature. Look at nature. You know, and it literally grabbed me by the throat. And I says, like, look at the look at the cycle of life that just keeps going on. Look at the cycle of life just keeps going on. And I said, Well, now what do you do? And I said, Look what nature does. You know, it keeps going. Keeps and this, going. it just keeps going. And this statement dropped under my head or wherever, way, wherever statements come. People say it drops from above. I don't know. I think it's a moment when your con- when you're, when you're chattering brain stops. I think there's everything's in there to be, you know, availed of. When the brain, when the voice of knowledge, as Don Miguel Ruiz talks about, stops. And I just went, gather your greatness. Gather your greatness. And that's the statement that came out, right? And I just went, that's it. That's it. That's the name of my next album, right? <gasps> wow. <laughs> and it is, right? So took it under the lads and it was all, and there was in the garden and there was crocuses and there was devils and the album's called Gather Your Greatness. And they were like, 
I don't know about that pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I'll leave it out with you. Well, what's it called again? Before I leave it out. We're you know, just having none of it. But that is literally what happens. And now I made some mind send me we text and gather your witness, you know, because you're who you are, you know. Oh my God. There is so many incredible things that you just said that I feel like need I need to write down like <laughs> you are giving Oprah a run for her money <laughs> you are I incredible love I love Oprah but I think one thing that I really want to speak about what you said um because this is such a huge thing of mine when I do stand up for example I think you cannot make any sort of um, amazing art if your ego is involved. It just, I think it is so clear with everything that you do, um, you know, like you said, whether it's making an album or even auditions or anything, I think when your ego interferes, it, it, it's not going to be as great as if you had left it at the door. And in the same breath, it's really interesting what you're saying about the entitlement we have. It's oh. like you come off one job and you're like, well, I'm too good for even auditioning for something else now. Uh, and as soon as you get rid of that notion, it kind of sets you free because uh, I think the things that are meant to come your way, sometimes we're just standing in our own way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the ego... I mean, you know, I think now we're in an era where, you know, maybe we've come to a point where we're dial, you know, maybe there is a a rebirth of consciousness and awakening. You know, things when people talk about the 60s and people, you know, entered certain ways of thinking or certain philosophies came into play and modern day philosophers, you know, that we might look at, you know, certain political figures maybe that we might look at that, that they're able to articulate really clearly. And articulation, you know, is so important, you know, because language is all we have. You know, language is the greatest gift the human beings have, really. And governments are set up in order for people to speak. You know, mm. it isn't war. War and revolution are the emotional enactments of 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 human beings you know when we cannot speak anymore we will war and we will get guns you know and and the i do believe that you know the awakening in consciousness that a lot of people are having people are talking about mindfulness or awareness you know and my behavior you know and that's all good stuff and if it's packaged in the very la way then that's grand by me as long as people are being responsible for their own behavior i don't give a monkey what language you speak we're coming from a very interesting country, a country that's finding its own fate over the last few years, massively with gay rights, with abortion rights, mm -hmm. the challenges, you know, towards the church to, you know, speak the truth about what, what happened, you know, with the mother and baby's homes, all the stuff. I think Ireland's in an extraordinary place, you know, um, uh, potentially, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, but the human ego... The ego is the image one has of oneself. And when you look at human beings that operate on ego because I think I should have that, I think I should have that, you know, fear are massive boundaries that people live with. Fear of actually standing up and saying, I actually don't believe this and I'm going to turn against you and say this to you, even though you're my people, you're my party. What I think you're doing is wrong. 
it takes a lot of a you know it, it, it takes a lot of bravery for people to stand up and do that. And I'm talking about the political structures and people. You know, mm-hmm. we think we need politics. You know, human ego is my place in the world, my place in history, mm-hmm. what I only do. You know, and when you step out of the way of that, you will see people like Martin Luther King. You're going to see people like Alexander Ocasio Cortez. You're going to see people like you know Demi. Bernadette Devlin, Tony Benn, you know, people in the world that got out of their way of their own ego. And at the at the bottom line, heart base of those people is humanitarianism. Mm-hmm. They're human beings that want to care for other beings. How am I going to crack on? Mm-hmm. How am I going to keep going with the you're wrong and I'm right? I should have got that and I didn't get it because that person's wrong and that person's wrong. No, accept, you know, get out of your own way, you know, literally get out of your own way. And, you know, the, 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 the real challenge for people I feel is self-acceptance mm-hmm. and, and actually owning up to who you are, where you're from, what your background is and what makes you tick. All, all over. They're very simple things, you know, but their life works. Mm, okay. This is so interesting. And I find there was something you said there that I wanted to kind of, because uh, because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And um, what were the exact words you said? Human uh, emotion, is it? That, you know, uh, all, yeah, human nature is is all we have because... Right now, I find is a time and it's really crunch time at the moment uh, with staying indoors. And, you know, we all have to look after each other. And it's not just about you. It's about everyone else. And I, I was talking to my sister about this just last night because I just what I find so mad about now in history is that we will look back and think we could have taken care of each other if we just stayed in and, and whether it's, it's awful. It's like, no one wants to stay in their apartment all day long, you know, and some people are in positions where, you know, home is more dangerous than, you know, being out and about, but we can look back and say that we did this as a collective, you know, human. Um, I'm, I'm like missing the word, but you know, like we came together and we can look back in history and say, okay, we did this to look after each other, even though we were all struggling personally and we should be really proud of that. Um, and in this, in the same, in the same way, it, it angers me as well, because when I see people who aren't, you know, it's sometimes it's just you have to care about the bigger picture and more than just yourself. And you want to look back and think that you did your part in this time in our history, you know, like hopefully this will be a moment in time and it will be in the past very soon. And we can proudly look back and say, okay, I did everything I could. I stayed home. I followed the guidelines, you know. Big time, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I was thinking a lot about uh, selfishness recently. And it's Paul Durkin, I think, um, 
wrote a beautiful piece called The Selfishness of Loneliness. Right? And when you actually think about your behavior as a human being, right? You know, and there's so many, I mean, we could talk about this for, for hours, Mairead. Mm. You know, your part that you play, how, how do you contribute to a situation? How do you contribute to, say, a dinner party? And he's talking and he's writing about the selfishness of loneliness. When somebody's lonely, right, or somebody talks about being lonely, and they come to an environment, a dinner party or something, a gathering, and they're lonely. It's just like a light going on. No, there's a selfishness to it because people can't, you know, they can't get in there. They can't, um, what's the word? Uh, you know, they can't really engage if you're lonely, you know, and it's like a depression or whatever, you know, but mm -hmm. uh, they can't intervene because you've accepted this thing you know, lonely. And to me now, any times that I've been lonely over the last year with the pandemic, you know, well, I actually haven't been because I, I, I embraced it like, mm -hmm. you know, like a mermaid diving under the, you know, the rainbow water. I was just like, okay, let's go party. <laughs> and I went down the yoga hole. I went down the walking Donegal Derry beautiful countryside where I'm from hole and the writing hole and the meditation and all the stuff that I love and the reading and had that time off, you know, and we all have our part to play. That's the bottom line. Cause this is a party. Yes. Yes. Well, well you yeah. know, it's, it's funny that you say the lonely thing as well. There's like a selfishness to it because, um, and of course that's not disregarding people's genuine no, emotion, absolutely. but sometimes that can also be your narrative. You know, if you're showing up to things and all you're talking about is how lonely you are, then that's your story. And that's going to continue to that's be that's your story. That's, that's, yeah. that's and it's like that, then are you going to crack on? So how much energy are we giving this? It's like the battery on the phone, you know, have we given it 40, have we given, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, we come into this world or on our own and we'll go out of this world on our own, but we've so much love and so much extraordinary experiences that go around and experience, you know, and like you're talking about there, this, you know, human nature, you know, the, we are here to learn and absorb and we are here to give. So you look at, you know, it's when you look at babies together on a mat or children, toddlers together. And, you know, one of them just had each other an awful clout, you know, you know, give me that cake, you know, give me that sweet or whatever. You know, he got that and I didn't get this, yeah. you know, and you think the kids get, no, that's, that's animal nature, you know, that you want that the way the fox is going to take the, you know, the, the chicken leg of the other fox, you know, human nature, when you see animals in the water and they're ferociously attacking each other and it's brutal, you know, and nature is brutal and you see packs hunting a wee lamb or whatever, you know, brutal. But, you know, the one thing that we do as human beings is we can write it down Okay, mm -hmm. now, that's not to say that the ant is not as intelligent for his for his size for his you know extraordinary creation that he's not as intelligent as we are that the birds that fly off every year to migrate that they're not as intelligent as we are because for who they are they are seriously intelligent mm -hmm. you know all the all the inner stuff that they know that we don't but we can write it down and we can pass on that knowledge. That's the beauty of, of being a human being. That's mm -hmm. the great thing about being a human being that we have, you know, like, do you ever go into a bookshop 
and you just sit on the chair and you just go, look at all the books. Yeah. <laughs> look at all the books. Yeah. Look at all the books that people wrote. And this is just the books probably in the last 50 years. What about the books from the times of the Greeks? And, you know, the Etruscans, well, they destroyed all the Etruscans. No, but what about all the, the books? It's amazing. Books. Yeah. We're so, we're so lucky. And I, I often say that um, I think my generation will you know, hopefully, I, I often say that we will make such good parents, like probably right. the best parents um, right. to date because right. we have so much to learn from, you know. Right. I mean, I presume right. that's the cycle and then our kids will be better. And, you know, right. but right. we are such an evolved species now that we are able to, we're really taking on all the things that have been taught before and we want to know how to be better. And I, th- and I think it's really unique to, to, to the modern day. You know, I've never, I, I think the fact that mental health is so spoken oh, about, you know, it's huge, 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 huge. Yeah. Trauma, we're just getting better. You know, acknowledging trauma. And I mean, I think if you're dealing with people, you know, especially in Ireland, you know, Marie, and there's a whole other conversation there about Ireland, which I obviously, you know, we, you know, you know, we're from there. We, 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 we're hugely passionate about our, our culture and our country and our music and the great people and the great writers. You know, we've great wisdom, you know, in a country that obviously um, has produced such, you know, a legacy of literature and, and obviously more always, always, you know, we're becoming aware of. Um, and, you know, we have so much to talk about as regards mental health and our, you know, I believe our ability to talk about alcoholism, our ability to talk about the trauma, not just of, um, you know, the native post-colonial trauma and any country that's been colonized, you're going to look at the native sector of that country, like the Aboriginal people, the Native American people, and you're going to see, now all they see is, you know, a toxic say to that community and that they, oh those people do this those people do that I like to break it down you know and I like to figure out well why do those people behave in that way why do those people have issues with drugs or drink or why do those people have issues with unemployment or confidence all that you know and I was born in 72 so I grew up right in the heart of the troubles you know and all that and my parents very eloquent about all that and did their best with us and you know so I'm very interested in how society works and why certain sec- sections of society exist the way they do. So these are huge conversations, you know. And um, But as Irish people, you know, we, I've seen it with the, the gay rights and marriage equality referendum, and you've seen it obviously as well, Mairead, and, and the abortion rights you know, when a country is suspended so far and so long back, you know, which we were by British oppression, mm-hmm. by state oppression, which is monstrous and is still only, we're only at the precipice of talking about that. Exactly, yeah. Right? So an abusive leader, you know, an abusive structural, uh, f- very, very frightening, um, fear-mongering, you know, top of the country. Um once we were pulled back, and I believe that it's like a slingshot, and now we're let go, there's kind of no stopping us. Mm-hmm. 
because the people have the power and that's the bottom line the people have the power and we know now we're not stupid you know and all the caricatures that you hear over the years and the stupid Irish or this that the other you know watch out you know far from it and you know education that's why you know Without an education, you might as well be dead, which is James Brown's line. And so true, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, major poverty, huge civil rights struggle that, she, that he would agree up on, that the north of Ireland completely related to. You know, when you educate people, you're giving them a key to life mm-hmm. and you're giving them strength and confidence, which is the greatest fertilizer you can give any human being is confidence. Teach them to be proud of themselves. And Irish people, I believe, now have a confidence that we've never had, like you say, the younger generations that aren't under getting blocked every weekend, which is great to see. They're not under getting out of their minds when they go away. They're young, inspiring people like you and, you know, Aaron and people that are that are conscious of what they've got. They're, they're beautiful. They're proud. They're fit. They're healthy. They're out. They have a great attitude to life, a moderate sense of enjoyment and just caring for the body and caring for the mind and that's the generation that's coming now that's the generation you know and not the stereotypical to me you know trauma societies trauma people and that we can't talk about why did the Irish drink I want to talk about why the Irish drank for no other reason than to help people mm. you know and then we can crack on yes yes you know, until you get that in order to forgive and in order to be content in life, we have to understand. Mm-hmm. And understanding is the greatest tool. And I'm talking about every political uh, setup as well. You know, here we go again, two sides, two sides, mm-hmm. two sides, two sides. You know, you don't understand. You can never forgive my side because you don't understand what I've been through. And I can never forgive your side because I don't understand what you've been through. Mm-hmm. You know, understanding is the greatest moment that human beings can come together we've seen it all in our lifetime already we've seen it with martin mcginnis and ian paisley they, they, they stood in the room and they understood each other towards the day and i heard that from martin mcginnis at seamus heaney's funeral wow. the man, you know he understood so you know that's what it's all about and the keys to life you know so again we go back to the initial question i don't know i'm waffling on here but, you know, no, I could listen all day. Honestly, this is amazing. You know, but, you know, how much energy are we going to give this? Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line, because that's really what crack on to me means. Yeah, I often think when I'm scared of anything in life, which I feel like I very often try to step outside my comfort zone. So I am very often nervous about things. Yeah. But then I try consider okay, what's the worst that's going to happen? And you're so right. It is only a bit of crack. Like every time I get up on stage, I am so nervous to the point where I could be physically sick. I get so nervous. And then I'm like, well, what's the worst going to happen? I mean, what? So so people don't laugh at me or I forget what I was meant to say. You know, I'm not going to drop dead. It's still a bit of crack. Either way, people, you know, it's fine. Yeah. That's when you learn your trade, you know. I mean, I just think stand-up, because people have said to me, oh, you should do stand-up. I was like, I would rather <laughs> stick a pan in my eye. But I, suppose, <laughs> I do do it with my music and I, t- I tell tales, you know, during the shows, whatever. And, you know, during the gigs, 
But, um, you know, I just have such love and admiration for Deirdre Kane's a good friend of mine, you know, and I oh, see Deirdre sure. and I'd be like, oh my God, she's playing the tablet. Oh my God, she's going to stand up there, but all these people, you know, not a bother there, you know, but she puts the work in. You know, you'd often be, I did a couple of jobs a day years ago and Dee would say, no, I'm not going to go to the pub. I've work to do. I'm going to go to my room. I might see you for a nightcap. Or whatever. You know, she's all crafting, grafting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, but um, it is, I mean, you know, it's like anything, you know, it's like doing any job. Once you, once you embrace the confidence for it and you get up there and do it, that that's what life's all about, mm-hmm. you know, because it ain't a dress rehearsal. It's not. You yeah. know, we got to keep it moving. Keep it yeah. moving. I'm yeah. Uh, okay. So speaking of keeping it moving, because I mean, look, we could chat all day and I think we, um, We'll continue this all fair eventually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've got pancakes to eat with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I want to, um, I mean, I'm assuming that that example that you gave me, that I presume you don't have any more examples of cracking on because that is such a huge, or was there anything else you wanted to add before I uh, jump us on to the, the lightning round, so to speak? The lightning, there's a lightning round. There's a lightning round. There's a lightning round. Um, <laughs> so I think that's kind of it, really. I mean, I suppose it's, uh, you know, stay off your phone, isn't it? And um, get out there and do it. I mean, I just think, you know, it is the classic line. You're the one you're waiting for. And, you know, if you're going to do something, you know, a lot of the time, you know, you'll be disappointed when it's not coming from, from out there. It has to, excuse me, the greatest... You know, the, the, the greatest sense of achievement is, is when it comes from within, mm-hmm. it comes from inside you, you know. I think that's kind of where it's, what I believe is where it's kind of at, you know. Yeah, gather your yeah. greatness and gather crack your on. Greatness. <laughs> because there's a no, there's, there's, you know, you are, you know, you're the source of your whale, you know what I mean? You're the one that it's going to come out of. If you're constantly looking at out there, do you make and there feel good it's not going to happen you're the one that's capable of of you know that's where the creative is you know but you gotta put the work in yeah you know i completely agree um okay before we go to our lightning round i do want to ask you before so i know that you have been acting and singing and performing from a very young age did you ever have a job like a part-time job or uh whatever that you just had to get on with that it was no crack at all but you had to just do it it wasn't in the acting world or the yeah. singing world yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah I did I cleaned some friends offices in London when I moved back um maybe 2006 2007 I went back to London no work and I was just sort of pottering around doing my own thing and I just moved back I was staying with my brother and a friend of mine said will you clean offices and I love cleaning. You see, I'm a great cleaner, great one for the cleaning. And I'm the one brought in to clean the houses when the babies are coming. I'm that kind of cleaner. It's a very serious job. So I said, you know what I love about a cleaning? And my friend says, well, look, my friend's husband has just come back from not being very well and his offices needs cleaned. And I went and cleaned his offices. That is amazing. Right. But there was a moth infestation. So you just clean. went in and... did it? Yeah, no bother. But I remember getting 50 quid in my hand. It was great. I went to Sainsbury's and bought food and a bottle of really nice wine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I did that. What else have I done? Um, That was the only really thing. I mean, it was a couple of days. But no, but I mean, I've I've done, 
I've always kind of found uh, nice things to do, but that that was the only time really. But I actually really enjoyed it, you know. That's so brilliant. That doesn't surprise me that you enjoyed it. You know, you're just incredibly positive and, you know, glass half full kind of gal. So, <laughs> okay, let me, um, okay, let me head to our lightning round. So what is your idea of crack? I always say to me mates, the body is a temple. Okay. Mm-hmm. But at any moment, ACDC can arrive. <laughs> So that's kind of how I roll. So it's either, it's either on the yoga mat um, or the table is champagne. Yeah. Fabulous food, Mexican usually, and cranking the reggae. So, you know, I guess, um, I mean, I love Spain and I love Italy. So I love going to Spain with all my mates and having the crack, mm-hmm. sitting out there Spanish bars, having the cold cervezas, and watching flamenco music. That, to me, is the ultimate night of crack, or seeing flamenco. But, like, you have to be quiet during the flamenco. But um, I suppose being on holiday in the sun, we all made muckers on the beach, having the crack Olympics. Um, but at the same time, I bought myself a projector last year, and I watched lots of films on my own during lockdown. And that was pretty incredible. Bruno, we are so similar. This is mad because I got, so Aaron got a projector from uh, my brother-in-law for Christmas and we, it was, it's, it's the best thing ever. Like we, we feel like, and it's so funny, like if we're watching a film and it goes black for a minute, you know, in between a scene, we forget that we're in our living room. Because you're like transported into the film and it is so exciting. But at the same time, I also just love a big, you know, I'd love to be sipping a margarita on the beach and then dancing the night away, you know? So it's, but I was going to ask if you're a Gemini, but you're not, are you? I'm a Taurus. Taurus. Okay. That means we can still party together though. It's fine. (laughs) Um, Okay. Next question. A habit you can't crack habit I can't crack coffee I think that's a good one though I, I I think you know what in life if there there's a million other things we should probably quit before coffee a habit I can't crack what else would the habit be um um I mean, vintage clothes I have another one uh oh, that's habit. a great one that's a great one <laughs> I think, what habit have I got that I can't crack? Uh, oh, lipsticks, buying lipsticks. <laughs> do you have any good stories from the first time you cracked on? So uh, do you ever use that phrase? I've found it's it's a British phrase of like your first, cracking on is like kissing or like snogging. Have you heard that? Cracking on? Yeah. Is a term used for snogging or kissing as well? Yeah. So yeah, it's funny because I've had my other guests didn't know that either. But uh, so, do you have a funny story from the first time you cracked on? That's gas. I never knew that crack. We call it uh, got off. Oh, got off. Wow. Got off. Did you, are the Americans say make out? Yeah, we uh, would say, like, we would say scoring. I scored I Yeah, I scored someone. <laughs> Snogged him, I snogged him. Um, what would it be my first, like a snog? 
Um, I, I think it was, I was 16. That was a bit of a late starter. Um, I was late to the party. I'm late to a lot of parties. <laughs> um, so I remember it was the venue in Derry uh, and a snog. I won't say his name because I still see him about and I'll be all broke. Um, I, and a snog. I think it was Careless Whisper. Love it. Yeah, and I snogged him. That's romantic. Um, okay, something that always cracks you up, like a TV show, a comedian, a, you know. Oh, uh, Kirsten Vig. Okay, I don't know who that is. That's interesting. Uh, Kirsten Wig from Saturday oh, Night. Oh, Kirsten Wig. Sorry. Uh, yes. Right. Kirsten Wig is just and Maya Rudolph when they do their thing. I am on the floor. Yeah. Just character after character. I just if I need a laugh, man, I just go on that Saturday Night Live and that show. Her and Zach Galavanakis when he was R.J. Sizzle in the what's up with that what's up with that i said so generally saturday night live makes me howl um and i love um early richard Pryor stuff as well is always hysterical um the early him in the in la downtown los angeles um who else cracks me up um I, I'd say Kirsten Briggs. She, that, that's who I'm thinking of modern times. It's always hard when you think about it. But she, Saturday Night Live in general is my kind of mental humour. Have you ever cracked a bone? Have you ever broken a bone? God forbid. Do you know what? I haven't. Me neither. I know, because there's a few broken bones at the moment. Around. I went over on my ankle a couple of years ago, a couple of summers ago, um, in a pair of wedges. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought in my dream that there was a fox biting my foot. No, I just nasty, spread a nasty, nasty sprain. But uh, I might have broken a little toe during complicity years as a when I was like dancing, because um, it never really healed it. And they reckon I might have broken, but there's nothing they could do for a, for a broken toe. No. Sort of, so I think I did break a toe during my time with complicity, but I just yeah. cracked. I just cracked. You cracked on. Yeah. Okay, we are coming. I'm a few hearts, but I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, we can put anything you want, Brenna. <laughs> heartbreaker, Bruno Gallagher. Sex symbol, Irish sex symbol and heartbreaker. That's what your introduction will say. Yeah, it better be. I'm yeah. not doing it again. This week's guest, Heartbreaker. I'm not, I'm not doing the greatest hit. Um, okay, finally, this was not on the brief, this question, and I have a feeling that you won't have an answer for it. But I think... <laughs> <That's a great laughs> <outbreak>. <laughs> well, I think you know this about me, but I'm obsessed with reality television. But I don't think you watch reality TV, do you? Do you? You know what I watch? Oh, tell me. Escape to the Chateau. What is that? Oh God, am what? I missing out on something? TV star fan. It is when they go to the chateau in Paris, outside Paris, and Motte de la Rue or somewhere, and they do it up. It has reality TV in a sense, but it's not the sort of like, you know, the Kardashians. I call them Kardashians at that level. It's not the trash that I like, basically. She likes like <laughs> absolute Ming trash, like absolute. Yeah, like all of us. Beverly Hills. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know them all. I'm, I do have girlfriends watching them, but I feel um, when I watch those programs, I feel like I have an hour left to love. It's just like, uh, for me, it's like an escape. And they, I feel like they're my friends now at this stage. It's mad. It is mad. But that's what it's clever. It's clever sort of, uh, you know, manipulation of the brain. But I just find it, they're, they're, they're so far from, I think, what people need in their lives to, to live and be happy. I find them, you know, I just find them kind of... Uh, very negative role models for young women. I know you take away a pinch of salt, but I just, I suppose when I look at how maybe niece and her wee friends watch them and maybe dress like them. And, you know, I just think, oh, oh, you know. Yeah, I think with someone like the Kardashian, like a show like the Kardashians, it's kind of scary, the influence they yeah. have on yeah. young people. That definitely, it's kind of scary. Um, but I will say, now I'm, of course, defending my housewives. But with with Real Housewives, I think it's great because they're all in their 50s or 60s and they are in the best point of their lives and they're having so much fun and starting businesses. Some of them are, you know, um, starting over with relationships or whatever it is. Right, that's women. I I, I suppose I just, uh, you know what, I don't watch a lot of TV. It's it's. Truth to be told, I do choose what films I can watch, obviously with my wee projector. But I do love um, a good series. I finished Fargo during the lockdown here. Got to see Fargo. Blew my mind. Mm-hmm. The three series. And um, then I watched The Queen's Gambit, which I loved as well. And now I'm watching Call My Agent, which is hilarious. I've been told to watch this. Yeah, uh, it's very good. Very, very good. Um, so I, but, but I mean, I think I, I just found as writing songs, you know, and we're sort of, you know, in the sort of thick of writing another album now, you know, but I mean, it's, we're finishing songs as we go along. We don't know when we can release really because we can't gig or tour. So we're sort of advised not to, which I think is the best place to be at the moment. So when I'm watching TV, I kind of think I should be writing or could be writing. Yeah, which is funny, you know, but I've enjoyed those shows and I've watched them, I've enjoyed them and I've learned a lot about music as well because the music supervision on them is brilliant, you know, on the um, Fargo especially. But I suppose I'm kind of looking at it going, but I could be doing something else. But Chateau, Return to the Chateau was my favourite. Okay, okay, I'll get into that because I I can never have enough, you know. (laughs) But it's not so much, but it is reality TV because you're following this, but it's it's a wee bit more... um, they're, they're, they're a classy duo, you know. Mm. I really like those kind of shows as well. I love anything with property. Like, I'm obsessed yeah. with, yeah. I do like location, location, location of an evening too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So to conclude, um, I, you know, where can we, where can we find you on social media after listening to this? I'm sure our listeners are going to want to see what you're up to. So it's, you're on Instagram, Twitter. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, yes. All and, uh, Brona Gallagher, yes. All there, all my name, yep. My brother Paul is uh, Paul is a brander um, and a graphic designer, so he runs all those. So I find it, it might take me two days to figure out how to post an Instagram post. I can teach say, you. I can teach yeah, you. What do you mean? I, um, when people say, share that on your stories, I end up sharing, you know, a photo of my ear. Maybe <laughs> there's an infection. You know what? <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay, Brona. Well, take it down. 
I never get it right. And when people say, I'll repost my story, I'm like, huh? So you can help. You have to show me. Don't worry, I will. And you'll be an Insta hun in no time after after I've intervened. I like the signs of that. Yeah, you could do a lipstick tutorial. Actually, you'd be such a hit. The rock sack, Olympic. Okay, yeah. baby. Okay, sounds good. Um, okay, well, I want to say a huge thank you. This has been the nicest chat, Rona, and I feel like I've learned so much, not just about you, but about life. And I'm ready to go out into the world with all these lessons that you've you've bestowed upon us. Thank you so and, much. And, and, you know, the other lovely one I wrote recently, I have it written and I put it up on my little picture. Maya Angelou, she's really, really love cute. Maya Angelou. Nothing works unless you do. Love it. That's a great <laughs> note. <laughs> that's the one. She's fine. Yeah. So there you go. I love that. That's a that's a great note to finish on as well. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. You've thank been you. such a delight. Um, yes, Brona Gallagher, everyone. Thanks, girl. I hope you enjoyed episode two of Crack On. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and thank you for those that have subscribed and reviewed it on Apple Podcasts. I was indeed the first reviewer because in the words of RuPaul Charles, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? Can I get an amen? I will leave you on that note. I hope everybody has a great week. Bye.